Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Bible Center with Victor Jackson. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in and catching up on this series as we are in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, for the past uh, week and a half, um, I have uh, been in a time of uh, prayer and consecration um, and also uh getting our nursery together for our daughter that's going to be here within the next two to three weeks. We had to take out um, all of my books and my bookcases out of our guest room and uh, we had to put it in at our family life center um, and so, uh, my daughter has already taken taken over, so uh, I have been uh, pushed into uh, the church office. And so this is kind of uh, becoming my, my space. Uh, when we start doing videos again for the podcast, uh, you're going to see um, kind of the backdrop with uh, all my bookcases and everything. This was, was this was at my house. Uh, we had to do some transformation into this office. Uh, had to do some painting and um, just a complete renovation. And uh, I want to thank you for your your patience with that. Thank you for your feedback. Um, we are back in the saddle uh, as um, we've gotten everything prepared. Uh, prayerfully, you've been learning something on this series in Matthew and um, thank you for the kind messages and the prayers for, uh, for me and for my family and for our daughter. God is doing amazing things. Uh, I'm just thankful to be on this journey. Uh, I'm just thankful to have the opportunity to share the word of God. Um, over the past few episodes, you notice I had to do some of the episodes from my house because we we're in the transition uh, we were revamping things at the office, uh, um, and so uh, I don't. Uh, I'm not a fan of uh, the, the quality uh, that we had uh, in those episodes, as far as sound goes. Uh, but thankfully, we're back on track, and we're going to be having videos coming soon as well. Uh, you guys get to see the the rough and rugged uh, process, and. Uh, putting out content. And I want to thank you for your patience and your love for that. Now, I am excited to get into Matthew chapter 12. Let's get into this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to plug heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. 
Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, the priest and the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy, like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. That we are stopping on verse 21. Matthew is writing to the Jews to persuade them that Jesus is the Christ. Not just a Christ to them, but a Christ to the world. Not just a Savior for them, but a Savior to the world. And he comes to bring hope, and as he is bringing hope, this hope is putting him in direct conflict with the religious system. Um, he is there to offer change and help, but it is putting him into the crosshairs and into the fire with those that are keeping the people oppressed. Um, they are using the name of God to inflict upon the people abuse and suffering and heartache and pain and oppression. And Jesus, who is the word made flesh, showed them what the kingdom really looks like. Now, when the truth is so evident, it will expose the counterfeit. And truth, sometimes its very presence can be confrontational because it will expose everything that is not real. You see this later in the book of Acts, whenever they came in the power of the spirit and it exposed Simon the sorcerer who had bewitched the people. There's something about truth that, that breaks people free from manipulation. There's something about truth that that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. There's something about knowing truth that, that 
tears shackles off of people, makes makes the scales fall off of their eyes where the blind can now see. And uh, the Bible compares the gospel to, to light. And he says that the light of the gospel will shine in the darkness and that the God of this world hath blinded the minds lest the glorious light of the gospel should shine and, and change them. And so uh, Satan uses many tactics to blind and to hurt and to deceive and to d- dilute. One of the greatest things about deception is that there's always a little bit of truth in deception. That's how deception gets you. You see, there's a difference between between truth and and what's right and what's wrong. But what what hell likes to do is put a little bit of of wrong in something right. It's like hell quoting scripture to Jesus, uh, putting his own spin and interpretation on it. And so the, the issue is that these Pharisees, that they were beginning to put their, their traditions and their, and, their, and their customs on, on the same authority as God's scripture. Uh, they were adding things. And you're going to see this when when they had a problem with them uh, plucking uh, the heads of grain uh, to eat. Uh, they had passed about 39 different extra biblical rules on what you cannot do on the Sabbath. And although what the disciples were doing were it was in line with Scripture. The Pharisees took issue with it because uh, it was encroaching on their false doctrines. It was encroaching on their extra biblical traditions. Uh, when you read a hermeneutic book, uh, a hermeneutic book, they they are uh, unbiased. It is the science of interpretation. Um. It, it is unbiased, uh, but one of the things they note is is that anything that you put, someone needs to write this down, anything that you put on equal standing with the scripture, anything that you put on equal authority with the word of God, the, the, the hermeneutic books call it that that came straight from the pit of hell. Be listening for anything that someone puts on the same authority with God's word. Be that a rule, be that a person, anyone that puts something on equal standing and equal authority with God's word, according to the science of interpretation of the scriptures, that would be considered a heresy or a false doctrine that came straight from the pit of hell. No person should ever put themselves on equal standing or or above the word of God. Everybody has to be under it and subject to it. 
no matter how anointed, no matter how great, no matter how prophetic, everyone has to be submitted to the book. We are held accountable to the Bible. This is why we called this podcast Bible-centered. This is why we named our church Bible Center of Orlando, Centro Biblico de Orlando, Bible Center of Claremont. We named it this because we have to promote the word and that the word is the final authority and we have to submit ourselves to this. So no matter how anointed Victor Jackson is, no matter how uh, God uses me, I have to be subject to the book. I've got to be held accountable. And if I'm not preaching something that's in alignment with the book, I need to be called out on that. But when a leader or a person puts themselves on equal authority with God's scripture, um, the hermeneutic books in an unbiased fashion, they teach that that is heresy and it came straight from the pit of hell. And when anyone puts themselves on equal authority, that's how cults are created. Uh, because people stop following the word and they start following a person. They stop, stop following the word and they st- start following an idea. Everything must be scrutinized by scripture. And so this podcast, anything that you've heard on this podcast I welcome you to scrutinize it, put put it under the lens of the Bible because I have to be held accountable by that. And any person you listen to, no matter if it's family, friend, whatever, everybody has to be held subject by this book. This is why I teach baptism in Jesus' name. This is why I teach the power of the Holy Ghost and the power of speaking in other tongues. This is why I teach unconditional love. This is why I teach forgiveness. This is why I teach uh, about walking in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is why I teach about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, how to, to, to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. I am staying in the parameters of scripture. And if I get out of that, uh, the, the Bible uh, is, is supposed to scrutinize my teaching. This is why I'm in a PhD in Bible exposition, because I want to make sure that the historical cultural setting, I want to make sure that I got the background right. I want to make sure that I got the Greek and the Hebrew right. I want to make sure that I am properly and rightly dividing the word of God. So I am a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. And so this is what Jesus was facing. These Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes were interpreting the law in in a very uh, wrong fashion that advanced them but oppressed the people. That, that caused them to be uplifted, but their people to be downcast. And so they were adding a bunch of extra biblical traditions and things that they put on equal standing with God's word. I'm so thankful for the written word, the written word that is the logos, that, that is the written word. 
the rhema is the spoken word. Now, now the spoken word, the proclamation, the, the spoken word, the word spoken in time, in season, should never contradict the written word of the Logos. So anything that you hear spoken must fall in alignment with this book. I believe that the Bible can guide our lives. I believe that the Bible is the word of God, that it has been inspired by God. I believe that the Bible can revolutionize and change any life. And I have a conviction about that. And I am a, te- I'm a, I'm a, I'm a physical testimony of that. And, and the people that I have encountered in my travels and in Orlando, they are a physical testament of that as well. The Bible can revolutionize your life. As, as a matter of fact, when, when you look at, at the, the first mention of success in the Bible, it's mentioned in Joshua 1. And in Joshua 1, he, he does not give Joshua a... Uh, a military strategy. He does not give him a sword, doesn't give him a spear, doesn't give him a shield. Um, those were, were not the indicators of success. He said, now, if you want success, he said, what I need you to do is meditate day and night in this word and obey this word, and you're going to have success. That is the standard of success in ministry. It's not about how many followers or how many likes or how many conferences are preached or any of that. It's, it's are you in the book? Are you meditating on the Lord day and night? And no matter what's happening in your business, what's happening in your family, what's happening in your church, as long as you're in his word, God says you're going to be a success. And Psalms 1 states that, that your leaf will not wither and you're going to be planted uh, by the rivers of living water, that you're going to be as a tree planted. There's going to be fruit in due season with the word, but everybody has to be held accountable to it. Um, And Jesus was dealing with this because these these extra biblical teachings that the Pharisees were doing, it was, it was oppressing the people. And he said, listen, you go, he told the Pharisees, look, you go and make a convert and make them twice the child of hell that you are. This is Jesus words. This is Jesus words. This is why he told them. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy that they will teach something, but not live it. They will tell you to do something, but for them or for their family or for their political persuasion, uh, they're not accountable to that. This is what Jesus is dealing with. And what I love about going through the word of God verse by verse is that it it confronts issues that, that we don't like to talk about. We've had to talk about divorce. We've had to talk about so many things on here already. We've got to talk about so many things in here already that aren't popular. But we have to stay Bible-centered. And all of us must 
submit to God's word. You know, and, and listen, and that's going to make people uncomfortable. I mean, I've gone places and I've preached on abuse and, and I lost friends for preaching on abuse and I lost, uh, I lost engagements and, and people don't like me because I, I nailed some things in the Holy Ghost that were happening in that location. I'll, I'll never be back there. I, I, I don't want to go back there because I can't, I, I can't, uh, be, uh, associated or be connected to anybody that is uh, covering up child abuse or child molestation or um, any of those things. Why? Because the Bible stands against this, right? He said, if you offend one of these little ones, it's better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and cast into the sea. You got to be careful how you treat innocence. You have to be careful how you treat kids. We've got to walk in the fear of God while how we treat uh, these, these children. And so these are things that I stand for that may be unpopular, but uh, nevertheless, they're biblical. And uh, I made up my mind uh, uh, a long time ago that uh, I, I'm willing to die for this gospel and I'm willing to die for his word. And not only did, did I say that, but I lived that out when I went in 2020 in the middle of the chaos and, and the heartache and the riots and the division in Minneapolis. I lived that out. I'm willing to put my life at risk for God's scripture. So if I'm willing to put my life at risk, I'm willing to also put friendships and family at risk, correct? We have to obey the word. And I hold myself accountable uh, to God's word, you know, more than I hold anyone else accountable. And so I'm excited. I'm excited to be back and talking to you guys. Listen, I missed you. I missed you. I missed you guys. But I'm excited to get into this. Verse one, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So they are. there were laws written that you could go and... Uh, eat some of the grain as, as long on the Sabbath, as long as you didn't have like a basket where you were putting it away, it wasn't the time to carry it and bring it home. But if you have like free hands and you're just hungry, you can plug it off and eat something. But the Pharisees had passed like 39 different rules and where you couldn't even do that. These are extra biblical teachings. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to them, look at what your disciples are doing. They're doing what is not lawful. They put their teaching on equal standing with the word of God. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only 
for the priest. So what Jesus does is he, he doesn't appeal to their rule. He appeals to scripture. And he says, listen, David was on the run from Saul. He had nothing to eat. And so he went into the priest, uh, into the, t- into the t- tabernacle. And they gave him bread. Now, according to Leviticus, anyone that ate the bread of ministry that wasn't of the Levitical line, uh, you were to be killed. You were to be stoned. You were to be cut off. But what Jesus is showing them that that David was hungry. So these were some exceptional conditions that they allowed him to eat because he was hungry. And he's showing that the laws were made to serve man, to help man, uh, that, that they weren't made to oppress man. It was to help man in his relationship, not shut him down. And so he's showing the, 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 that if, if there is a, if there is a, a, a rule like the Sabbath, uh, someone shouldn't starve because it's Sabbath day. He said he's making a, a, a statement that good deeds are acceptable on Sabbath. Yes, there's no need for work, but good deeds are acceptable. He said he was hungry. All there was, was the bread of the presence and it wasn't lawful for him to eat, but they allowed it because this was an emergency situation that someone had no food. That he's saying that good deeds are allowed on the Sabbath. He says, or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless, guiltless? Now Jesus is calling out their hypocrisy because while they're complaining about the disciples eating, and you know there was conditions in the Old Testament where they allowed the widows and 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 the uh, and the fatherless uh, to come and and take of the grains on, on the side after something was harvested. They were able to come behind and eat what was left uh, because uh, there were conditions to to not take your whole harvest, but to leave something left for the poor and for the widow and for the fatherless. So he says, now he calls them out on their hypocrisy. He says, listen, uh, the, look at the Sabbath, how the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. What he's saying here is, is that, listen, you tell everyone else not to work, but here you are working in the temple. He said, the priests are working, but you don't say anything about it because they're doing it in the temple. And he said, but you're prof- you guys are profaning the Sabbath by working on the Sabbath. So you're condemning others, but you yourselves, you're not holding yourself accountable by the same standards. He says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He makes two claims here. He says, listen, I'm greater than the temple. And he says, and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath uh, was not uh, uh, 
you know, he, he says that, that the Sabbath was something to help man, not something to condemn man. It was to uh, promote uh, rest as, as God rested uh, in the seventh day he rested. So it, it was a source of rejuvenation, not, not a, a source of condemnation. So, so the, these laws are, are supposed to be to, to help, not, not to, you know, express how, you know, holy a Pharisee is. It, it's for the well-being. These laws should be taught from the perspective of it, it is good for you to do this. Verse 9, and he went from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Now, I, I want you to catch this. this. This is incredible to me. To bring a theological point, this is what's sad. They uses they use a man's weakness as a preaching point. This is this is this is what's unbelievable. They had passed conditions where you couldn't even help somebody that was hurting on the Sabbath. They had passed extra biblical rules where you couldn't help anybody. Where if on the Sabbath someone broke something or someone needed medicine, you had to wait till the next day. So they look at this man with the withered hand in their synagogue and says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they were doing that to, so they could accuse him. They were hoping that he would heal him so they could accuse him. Isn't this terrible? Wow. While they are in debate and trying to destroy and accuse Jesus, there's a man in their church with a withered hand. Oh, my goodness. They know this man has a withered hand, and it's his right hand, other gospels would state. It was his right hand, the right hand of power. They know this man has a withered hand. He has a weakness. He has a struggle. He has a deficiency, and they don't try to heal him or do anything about it. But this was what the religious world looked like during the time of Jesus. They didn't care that he was withered as long as he was still tithing. They didn't care if he was withered as long as he still showed up for attendance. No one was concerned with this man's condition because the religion of the day the, the, the checks and balances of religiosity were of more importance, more importance than a soul, than a need. And what Jesus is exposing with his presence is that these Pharisees have lost the mark. They have, they have lost how they started. It was all about interpreting the law and giving the law to the people, but it became something else. They, they went amiss. They, they, they missed the target. They missed the mark. And that's what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. They, they have missed the mark on why they began.
that now needs are overlooked and rules are the focus. When I, when I speak of rules, yes, yes, there are, you see, we talked about it in the Beatitudes, that there are standards, there are convictions, there are things that God teaches that all of us should live by. But what the Pharisees were doing was they were twisting it and bringing it into something that God never intended it to become. See, Matthew's theme is fulfillment, and he is showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So if you want to look at the fullness of the law, look at Jesus. My goodness. If you want to see the fullness of the law and the prophets, look at Jesus because he said, I didn't, he said, I came, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. If you want to see the fulfilled intention of the old Testament, look at Jesus and Jesus is exposing everything that is not of the word and not of God's intention. So this man has a withered hand. He has a withered hand. And the one time they speak to him in church is not to heal or say, are you okay? But to use him as an example. This is embarrassing, folks. And he says, which one of you have a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees made provisions that if a sheep fell into a pit that you could pick it up on the Sabbath. Some of the more stricter groups like the Essenes who, who... uh, who were kind of on the outskirts of society, very strict regiment. They didn't even allow that. But even the Pharisees allowed for a sheep to be picked up out of the pit. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're allowing for that, how much more about mankind who is more valuable than sheep? You're just walking by this man with the withered hand, not having any compassion, not having any love. You see this man with the condition. Where did it come from? How did it get withered? What was the trauma? What was the pain? How did this happen? And how are you ministering to this need? But you're more concerned with your rules than the people's needs. And you have forgotten why you are giving the law. You're giving the law for the people. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. They're not functioning. They have the law, but they're not functioning in the spirit of the intention of the law, which was to reconcile man to God, which was, which was to, 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 to save man from himself. That's what those 613 laws in the old Testament were uh, to protect man from himself. So the Bible says that he tells the man in verse 13, then he said to the man, stretch forth your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. Other gospels say that he told him to rise up and to stand forth. 
and then stretch forth your hands. And, and I preached a message years ago called the theology of motion on how the more the man obeyed and, and moved toward God's commands that, that the closer he got to his healing. When he stood up, that was a step of faith because he's recognizing I have an issue. When he stood forth, that was showing in front of everybody, I have a weakness, but he was still hiding his hand. And when he revealed the issue and the problem, he was healed. He was scared that he was going to be exposed, but God healed it when he was willing to reveal it. I preached the theology of motion. When the man stretched it out, he was restored and healthy like the other. It was restored and healthy like the other. Jesus gets to what this is all about. This is about having a compassion for people. And it is contrasted with the with the regiment and the and the and the force and and the condemning nature of the Pharisees. Now, remember, Jesus, Jesus has rules. He tells the woman that was called an adultery, he said, Hey, listen, go and sin no more. I showed grace to you, but go and sin no more. So so Jesus, you have to understand, Jesus has rules, but but the priority is the soul. And the rule is to help the soul. So I'm not preaching a ruleness, a ruleless uh, philosophy, because that would contradict Scripture. That's what the epistles are for. The epistles are showing you how to live out what God has given you, how to live out the treasure that God has given you, how to walk in it. And, and I'm a, and if you listen to my past message. From last Sunday, from last Wednesday, was on the mystery of godliness, and that that is a whole study. As I broke it down in the Greek to our church, that is a whole study. You want to listen to that message on what godliness looks like, and this man stretched out his hand and was restored and healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Look at the contradiction. You see, Jesus' compassion confronted the Pharisees' tradition. Jesus' compassion put him on the path of conflict. Because these are the people you're not supposed to care about, but Jesus cared about them. These are the people that are hiding in the crowds that Jesus is particular about healing. So look what they do. Jesus does good on the Sabbath. And look, they go out and conspire how to destroy him on the Sabbath. So look what he says. He told them, he says, listen, uh, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So they're, they're wanting to harm him for doing good, yet they gave themselves permission to do bad on the Sabbath. Look at that. It's the hypocrisy. He does good and they want to kill him. They do bad and they give themselves a pass. And when Jesus saw the opposition of the Pharisees, verse 15, when he was aware of this, he withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This is powerful because what Jesus didn't do is he wasn't trying to be in direct 
opposition against the Pharisees, but it was his mission that put him in opposition. If he was never about souls, then he would have never been on the path of conflict. But it was it was the compassion that put him in the crosshairs of the religious system. It was his compassion for people that that made the system expose itself and try to harm him. But but notice he isn't trying to be outright, he's not trying to be divisive. When they go and try to destroy him, he doesn't go on the streets and, and speak, look, man, they're doing me wrong. They're doing me wrong. No, he, he stays silent. He just withdraws because it's not his time yet. He picked his moments. He wasn't contentious. He was just trying to help people. But when you're trying to help people, you're going to be put on the path of resistance and a path of opposition and compassion will lead to conflict. So he ordered them not to make him known. He said, listen, y'all, listen, it's, it's, my name is hot right now on the streets. He said, listen, don't, don't be sharing my name. I'm not, I'm not here for fame. I'm here to help people. That is the heart of a leader. That is the heart of, of a Christian. That is a heart of someone walking in purity that says, listen, I'm not trying to be famous from this. Don't tell anybody. I'm just trying to help somebody. Or he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. This is what he's saying in verse 19. He's saying, listen, he's not going to quarrel. He's not... He's not trying to fight people. He's not trying to fight the Pharisees. He's not trying to have a showdown. He's just trying to have compassion. He's just trying to help people. He's not in the streets saying, hey, the Pharisees are wrong. The Pharisees are wrong. The scribes are wrong. These, this religious system, this is the worst thing ever. And he's not trying to be contentious. He's just trying to fulfill his mission. And his mission is forcing him to address issues. But his ministry is not to address issues. It's to save souls. But he will do and overcome any obstacle or any stumbling block and anything that will, that will stop him from saving souls. He, he will do whatever it takes to reach a soul, even if that puts him in opposition with the premier theologians of his day. But he said he's not here to quarrel or cry aloud. He's not here to shout or, or contend for things that have no value. His mission is souls. He will, he will weep over a soul. He will cry over a soul. He will do whatever it takes to reach a soul. But when it comes to these strifes and these uh, uh, synagogue politics or, or things like that, he's not going to lift his voice. He doesn't even lift his voice later and defend himself. He's not here for that. He's here for souls. Let every Christian learn from this. Avoid the pointless fights. Avoid the meaningless fights. 
don't don't make a name for yourself by what you're against or who you're against. Just just be about the father's business. Be about souls. He's not here to quarrel. He said, my ministry is not going to be defined by my quarrel with the Pharisees. My ministry is not going to be defined by, by the unrighteousness that the Pharisees are on how they're treating me. I'm staying about the vision. I'm staying about souls. I'm staying about people. Let us have the focus of Jesus Christ and the compassion of Jesus Christ that will teach us on how to, to manage and walk in a polarized society. In a society that is looking for the next clickbait, the next thing to be against. Let us walk as harmless as doves and as wise as serpents. Verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break. A bruised reed has no value. Bruce Reed has no value. It's easily displaced. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Uh, a wick that 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 doesn't have any fire that's on its way down. It has it has no value. These are two things that have no value. But you see the compassion of the Lord. Even the things that you think have no value, I have compassion for. The people that you believe have no value, the people with weaknesses, the people with that with withered hands, the people whose power has dried up. He said, I, I will not break it. I, I, will, I will not harm. I have compassion. Jesus' compassion is so great. He even has compassion for the Pharisees. How do you, the, the, these, these Pharisees are so broken, they don't even know it. And Jesus is willing to die for them. I so, I'm so thankful for the love. This is where the doctrine of unconditional love comes. I'm so thankful for love. Love is not an excuse for sin. Love is not an excuse for the Pharisees. But unconditional love says, I love you. I'm willing to sacrifice for you. And I love you so much that I'm willing to stand firm and tell you when you're wrong. That's love, y'all. Love isn't weak. Love isn't passive. Love is strong. And while Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees, he never ceased to be love. He didn't put his love aside to cast them out the temple. He didn't put his love aside to rebuke them and show their hypocrisy. He was doing it in love because he would die for even them. Wow. 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 And you see his compassion for people put him in conflict with the Pharisees. Listen to this. God's later, his compassion for his accusers like Malchus would put him in conflict with Peter. You see, love and compassion will always put you in conflict with flesh. Peter was in his flesh when he, when he, cut off Malchus' ear. But you see, God's compassion for the broken and his compassion for the accusers will always put him on the path of conflict. 
when God shows compassion to your enemies. You see, you don't understand it, but but his compassion doesn't make sense to us because we are finite thinkers, but he is he he his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. A bruised reed is useless. A smoldering wick is useless. But he says, I'm not going to break it and I will not quench it. I still believe there's hope. I still believe there's hope for the Pharisees. I still believe there's hope for uh, the withered hand. I feel like there's hope for the lame, the blind, the deaf, the dumb, I feel the leper. I feel that there is hope. And I'm telling you, anybody there's a, that's alive today, Jesus still sees hope in them. Says, says a smoldering wick will he not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Wow, what a compassionate God. I, I want you to take time today to thank God for his compassion. His compassion for you that even when you felt unworthy, even when you felt like you didn't belong, even when you felt that no one cared, he was compassionate towards you. When you felt you had nothing to offer, when you had no more more energy, the storm took all the energy out of you. The journey has taken all of your energy and you've been weary and you've been weak. I'm so thankful that God doesn't put us away, but he shows his compassion to us. And even if you've been in church for a long time, like the man with the withered hand was and not healed. Jesus has enough compassion to step to you when nobody knows your issue and come and heal you right there. Matthew is contrasting the compassion of the Lord and and the hardness and condemnation of the religious system that the Jews were still dealing with at the time that Matthew's writing. I'm excited about this, guys. Share this with somebody. I pray this a blessing. Looking forward to speak with you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.